Welcome to the latest version of How to Fix the Iowa Hawkeyes Offense uh, here at the Voice for College Football. This is uh, otherwise known as uh, Hawkeyes Live here at the Voice of College Football, episode number 63. Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm, of course, graces us as he does every Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing good, Mark. Um, you know, it's kind of nice to have a bit of a breather with the bye week, not that... Uh... Not that we're slowing down here. We still got our our content here on this channel, and I got stuff on my channel. So, I wish you you know you're going into a bye week under different circumstances. I know Ohio State has a bye week this well this week as well. Correct. So we can they you do. know the bye weeks lined up well for these teams. I guess uh, we know last year Iowa had a bye week before the Wisconsin game, and we all know how that Wisconsin game went. So um, now I, I before we get started on this, I saw somebody sent me a tweet. And I don't know if you saw it. Um, I don't know how valid the source is. That's why I didn't want to retweet it before I went on the air. But there is a source right now out there that's reporting that Cade McNamara is done at Michigan. Uh, had you heard that? Uh, is there a substance to that that you know of? I, I don't know. Uh, I can't substantiate that. I know that um, people that people that I know that um, have some inside information who know players who know a lot of players had said that, um, that this was inevitable a few weeks ago. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. I mean, again, whether that source is accurate or not, you know, it might just be some guy, I don't know this, but I, you know, you always look at somebody's Twitter, you know, following, are they verified all this stuff? And I couldn't really tell if this guy was legitimate who tweeted this out, but that wouldn't be a bad way, Mark. It's kind of like that Siri Yacht guy that was getting popular in 2020 for predicting that the Big Ten would be resuming its season. Like he kind of had a, I want to say a 50-50 chance of being right. <laughs> but it's it's like for somebody who's trying to gain notoriety on Twitter, you might as well put something out there that's that you think is likely. And if it happens, then everybody praises you. And I think that could could be what's happening here. Maybe this guy's got actual sources. But you know, an individual sent that to me and course the first thought is well iowa could go after him and by the way for the for the record i do think that iowa will probably go after somebody in the portal um i can't guarantee that based on things i've heard but i i don't again don't uh that, that's not a that's not a uh stick it in the ground prediction at this point but i mean it doesn't i don't think it you need much uh guesswork to well i don't think it's guesswork to to assume that Spencer Petrus is probably not coming back next year. And I mean, who else? They obviously don't have any confidence in Alex Padilla. So I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves and maybe he's content being a backup, but if he's content being a backup, then, you know, is he going to be, is he the guy next year? Now I also acknowledge the fact Mark, that uh, the, the current Iowa staff as it's currently constructed does not have the ability to evaluate quarterbacks appropriately or accurately. So there's always a chance they make a decision that's horrendous. I, I hate to say that, but that's just the reality of of where we're at with with Iowa's evaluators, if you will. Um, but I, I, with that being said, I still think there's a, a decent chance Iowa actually swallows some pride and goes to the portal next year. And you know, because even you know, if, if Petrus leaves, which I think he will, um, if Padilla leaves, which I think he probably will, I'm less confident in that. Then you're down to Joey Labus, who I again does the staff have any confidence in him? Carson May, who is a, a who's a true freshman this year, and Marco Alanez, who will be a true freshman next year. And and just as as uncomfortable as Kirk is going to the portal, especially at quarterback, he's probably even less comfortable going to a first or second year year guy. So maybe Labus ends up being that'd be his third year. Maybe he ends up being the quarterback in twenty twenty three. And the only reason I'm bringing this discussion up is because of the uh, the report about um, Cade McNamara. But I actually believe, Mark, that Cade may be out of Iowa's league because I, I think there's going to be a lot of programs that are after him. Now, I'm not saying that you know, if you listen to my channel, you listen to this show back in January, you know, Mark, we were advocating for Iowa to go after a bunch of quarterbacks because what's the harm in going after guys? If they turn you down, okay, at least we tried. So I'm not saying that if Cade enters the portal, when that time comes, I know the portal window is not even open right now, but when it is, Iowa should still pursue him. I'm just saying as far as prediction about whether he'd come to Iowa, I doubt he would, Mark. 
Don't you think there's been a lot of programs that would be going after him a lot? So when you say that Iowa's not in his league in regards to being a program, you're stating that more from Cade McNamara's likely evaluation of what they do with their offense and what they Absolutely. do with their quarterbacks and, and lack right. of development and lack of production, and all of that, not the status of the program. Ex- no, 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 but, but it's not going to hurt. It's not going to help. If you, if Iowa goes five and seven, that's not going to help the status of the program as a whole, regardless of what the defense and special teams unit is doing. At least last year. Yeah. You had a putrid offense, but you could still fall back on. We're elite at two, uh, two units and we won 10 games. It's harder to pump up those two elite units if you end up losing seven games. Um, so I'm not saying that will happen. Maybe Iowa will climb its way to seven and five. Um, but my point is, um, I, I, I mean, I, I people have always argued to me, Mark, well, why would any portal quarterback want to come here? And I understand that line of reasoning. That That's just – that's never been – valid to the point that I've tried to make and the point you've tried to make, which is Iowa needs to try. Okay. And, but I do think once they try, there are going to be quarterbacks. It is a fact that there are quarterbacks who will say, why would I want to play for that offense? It doesn't showcase my skills. Just like Charlie Jones realized, why would I want to play for that offense? My, my last year in college, let me go play for an offense. That's going to actually help my draft stock. Can you imagine Charlie Jones? If he was at Iowa right now, I mean, would he be helping Iowa offense? Yeah. But would he be on anybody's draft board right now? I, I certainly don't think he would be remotely close to draft boards, any draft boards. And I don't know how high he is on draft boards as it currently stands, but I guarantee you he's going to have a shot and he's probably going to be first team all big 10. Mark, would you agree with that? <laughs> that Charlie Jones will likely be first team all big 10 on offense. Yeah. He's having that kind of season. Now, now back to the, Uh, ability of this program to uh, attract uh, a decent quarterback in the transfer portal. Uh, Yes, that would be the, the wise (laughs) discerning uh, assessment of the Iowa offense in the program by any quarterback out there that's available in comparison to all these other offenses that they could possibly, you know, uh, take part in. However, we do see, head coaches who are have yet to be successful go out and lure in uh, top-level recruiting classes. So I think Iowa could leverage, if it wants to be humble about the situation and take a reset, meaning as you um, and everybody check out Corey's video uh, that was posted yesterday on uh, the Iowa, the state of the Iowa offense and what changes need, need to be made. But if Iowa reset the offense, meaning the personnel, the coaching, uh, the personnel on the coaching staff and showed a a quarterback, hope we're we're willing to make these changes and see what we've done in these other areas of the team. We can do this in an offense and you can be a building block. You can be the center of all of this. Yeah. And I, I would defer back to what Michael Penix is doing at Washington. Uh, what Adrian Martinez is doing at Kansas State. Those are two examples of guys who, I mean, were they top five portal quarterbacks during this last cycle? Probably not. Um, you know, Penix was coming up. Didn't he have two knee injuries, I believe, before he headed to Washington? One for sure. I think he was coming off too because he got hurt last year, correct? Yes. Then he was coming off too because I remember he was hurt. He, this That Iowa game last year was his first game back. Because I remember talking about that knee injury. Okay. Um, and he kind of played a little bit tentative in that first game against the Hawks. But my point is, boy, look at he's tearing things up at Washington. And I've had people interact with me on Twitter today that made excuses for Adrian Martinez. Why don't we just give the guy props? He's going to Kansas. He, he, right now he's playing great football at Kansas State. And they want to say, well, it's offensive line and blah, blah, blah. Give the guy props. And he's running for like, how many yards a game is he getting right now? It's <laughs> a quarterback. It's insane what he's doing. And um, again, there were there were reports out there from credible sources that said I would that's the one guy I would did contact in the portal. But there's got to be more of an effort made in, in 2023. Now, I think the, the more relevant question, what you just brought up, Mark, is how does the narrative around Iowa, the Iowa offense change with a change in, in as far as the offensive staff is concerned? So that brings up the question, will Brian Ferentz be 
the offensive coordinator in 2023. Mark, if you had to guess, I know you're not, you know, covering the program intently, but uh, if you had to guess at this point, will Brian Ferentz be the OC in 2023? Well, he shouldn't be. If this was any other situation across the country, then we would have a 90-some percent certainty that he would not be. Well, he shouldn't even be in week seven. I mean, he uh, he should be really, he should have been, I mean, I'm to hate to say that. I, again, nothing against the Ferentz family, but I mean, heck, Rutgers fired their OC. New Mexico just fired their OC. Indiana just fired their O-line coach and run game coordinator. Yep. Nebraska fired their head coach. Wisconsin fired their head coach. So unless we're smarter than all of those schools, I'd like to think that, uh, the, you know, the precedent has been set. If you're this bad, and all those, by the way, all those teams have better offenses than Iowa's by the numbers. So I'm going to say no, that he won't be the offensive coordinator in 2023, but I'm trying to devise and envision the set of circumstances that allow for a graceful fall. Yeah, I don't think you'll, I don't think, for the record, I don't believe he will be either. So all the fans who are, Kirk is never going to fire his son, that's fine. I'm just telling you right now, and I agree with you that, uh, you know, we can go a couple different directions as far as how will this transpire. I do not believe Brian will be the offensive coordinator in 2023. Now, which is the more feasible um, avenue to that happening? Is it he is demoted? You know, they fired George Barnett along that offensive line. I hope not. I know people are after Barnett right now, but this is his second year in the program. This is his second year. I, I think that would be unfair to George Barnett, and he would end up being the scapegoat, similar to maybe how Chris Doyle was a scapegoat for some of the issues within that program. And I hope that, that that's not the move that's made. Um, but that's a possibility that Brian's demoted and, and made the offensive line coach, and George Barnett goes bye-bye. Um, I think another option is that uh, Brian does find a way to a job in the NFL. That's probably the ideal scenario because it doesn't look like he's being demoted or getting fired. He's just taking a, a different job in, you know, in pro football. Um, and then, of course, the, the probably the, the least likely scenario is that Gary Barta just says, enough is enough, you're fired. <laughs> I, I, I suppose, you know, that could happen. Kirk doesn't tech. So I know every, the, the understanding is that Kirk is the most powerful person in that program. And you and I both agree, Mark, that that's the case, but technically, I know people don't like talking about this. Technically the rules on nepotism stipulate that Brian is his, his supervisor is actually Gary Barta. So Gary Barta mm -hmm. technically has the authority to say, don't care what you have to say, Kirk, Brian, you're fired. I'm not saying it's like going to be like an, a celebrity apprentice type thing with, with, with Donald Trump, but I'm just saying he has the authority to say you're fired. So were you telling me that there are uh, some members of the coaching staff that report directly to Kirk and therefore he is able to fire them and others do not? It's it's Brian, not because of the rules on staff? Yes, because of the rules on nepotism, Brian reports to Gary. That's but what has been stated. One. Okay. Correct. All right. That's what's been stated. Now, I'm sure if Gary... I'm sure there's Gary still has authority. If there's somebody in the program, like say I was, you know, say Iowa had a, a tight ends coach that was doing something inappropriate, Gary would still have the, you know, if, if Kirk for some reason refused to do something, I mean, Gary could still step in. But I'm just saying uh, on a technicality basis, um, Gary is technically Brian's supervisor. So he's ultimately the one that has to make that decision. And he's also the one who, who, I think the more ideal scenario is that you just go to Kirk and you say, look, Kirk, we love you. All right. We are invested in you, but you have to do something here. I don't want to have to fire him, but you have to either find him a job. You have to demote him. You have to do something. He cannot be this program's offensive coordinator moving forward. Now, I don't know that Gary, I don't know that he has the nerve. Is that the right word to do that? To put it lightly, the nerve to do that. But um, that's what needs to be done. I mean, right? I mean, somebody's got to step up at the plate here. I hope he's got the nerve to get it done and to do that because that's his job. Uh, yeah, well, He again. runs the athletic department. And this is the most important, lucrative, revenue-generating sport that he's in charge of. And there is this huge dichotomy of strengths and weaknesses that have been going on for years. And here's the person that's responsible for coordination of the weakest unit in the country. 
that's impacting all these people, basically the inability and lack of production is affecting a hundred people and beyond. It's, yeah, this is what he was hired to do. How much money, not that it should matter, but my goodness, you're a boss. You're running an athletic department. You should be well, able to have that conversation. I like the fact that Hawkeye Howard, who's one of our loyal listeners, who's been here for well over a year on this channel uh, and on my channel, he told me, and I know some people laughed at him, but I think it's I think it's great. He said he called, or no, it was Lemansky. Lemansky and Hawkeye Howard are both great, right? And they, they're both on your channel at times, Mark. But um, Lemansky said that he actually called the University of Iowa and and told them, gave a message, left a message for Gary, which I'm sure won't get back to Barta, but basically that you need to do what's best for the program and relieve Brian. That That's the, you can laugh at it and say it's going to make a difference. I think that's a... I really believe that's a noble thing to do. If you're a Hawkeye fan who really believes that Brian needs to be let go, a noble thing to do instead of just writing on message boards and on Twitter um, about it to actually make an attempt to plead with the university to make this happen, even though it won't, that one in itself won't do anything. Now there is a petition. Have you seen this petition? I saw that. Uh, is it the outkick uh, did an article on this petition? Um, on change.org and it's been circulating for over a year now but it's picking up steam again it's got like seven thousand signatures yeah. to fire brian ferentz hmm. um so now again is that petition going to do anything is gary barda really going to care how many fans sign it well no but man it's, that's that's a substantial amount of people imagine if all those imagine if all those signatures were season ticket holders or just you know butts and seats i mean imagine seven thousand less people at Kinnick each and every game that would be noticeable or if they had grew from 7,000 to 70,000 right yeah and boy I tell you uh it's it's only gotten worse and Mark I predicted heading into this past week I predicted a, an Illinois win 14 to 9 that's really the first game this year I hate to say that it's the first game that I really felt like I read well like to me it was just I just didn't see any way that it, there was a big margin there for either team. Um, and I didn't see Iowa being able to do much offensively. That's exactly what happened. Um, and I'm happy for Brett Bielema. I know some people were, I had a guy on my post on the post game show that was ripping Brett and, and uh, making fun of him because of his weight. I think Brett's a, a good guy from everything. I know, I know the people, people, angry fans, but I think Brett's a good guy and I'm happy for him. I'm not. I mean, I'm not happy. It can't, you know, came at the expense of Iowa, but he's obviously working hard on the recruiting trail, developing these kids. That their defensive line is really good right now, really good. Um, and it's amazing that he's. What's amazing about what he's done there, Mark, is that he's transformed um, his team in the trenches in a short period of time. Typically, that's yeah. the hardest thing to do, right? We've mm -hmm. seen we've seen guys like Michael Oxley go to Maryland and you know get these skill position players to come in and, and produce points, but can they compete in the trenches? Nebraska's had the same problem, but boy, Brett's built that foundation. So if you're an Iowa fan or a Minnesota fan or a Wisconsin fan, you're concerned about competition in the West getting harder. No, look no further than Illinois. I enjoyed listening to Brett Bielema's uh, post-game news conference. And then the news conference he delivered for the, uh, the Minnesota game coming up, which is a enormous game in the Big yes, Ten Western Division. But, um, you know, he he said that uh, he let his team know. He said, I, I talked to my team all throughout the week to let them know these are the scores of Iowa's games, and these are the scores of their games entering the fourth quarter. This is the kind of game we're going to be playing. Don't get frustrated, especially talking to the offense. Don't get frustrated by this. This is the kind of game we're going to be in. So just be prepared for it. And uh, they, I, I'll say this too, because a lot of the apologists who have defended Kirk and defended Brian over the last year, and they're right about this, they have still won in spite of the offense. And Mark, you know, we've done this with the schedule last year. We looked back at how they did it, but with the exception being Maryland and Indiana, they did not blow teams out. They beat Nebraska narrowly. They beat Minnesota narrowly. 
They beat Penn State narrowly. The games they lost, they got blown out in, right? But my point is, they they mastered, and that's what they've done for much of Kirk's tenure. They've mastered the art of winning close games. But notice what they've done this year, with the exception being South Dakota State. They've lost close games. They lose by three to Iowa State. Now they lose by three to Illinois. So it seems to have gotten to a point where the offense has gotten so bad that regardless of how good the defense is, and Mark, once again Saturday, the defense was elite. (laughs) It was just elite. You watch the game, and I just, several times in that game, I thought, oh, here we go again. The defense is going to bail this team out again. And I don't want to hear anybody that's upset at Drew Stevens for missing a field goal. I had somebody on my channel, and and I hate to rip people who listen to the channel because I appreciate the support. Somebody on my channel said, well, part of the problem is we have crappy field goal kickers. Drew Stevens has missed one field goal all year. Seriously, and it was a 45-yard field goal courtesy of a stupid double reverse to Nico Reganey that lost oh, like eight yes. yards. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't sit here and tell me that we don't have good field goal kickers. That's not the problem. So special teams and, and, and defense have been absolutely unbelievable. It was the correct call to overturn the fumble by Art Sitkowski that uh, – I think it was Art Sitkowski that, re- that would yeah. have been a touchdown, Riley Moss return. But that's – see, that's how the margin – that's how close Iowa was to winning that game. If – if, if that play counts, and, and again, opportunistic Iowa, Riley Moss, man on the spot, picks up that ball, goes back for a touchdown, Iowa probably wins that game. Similar to uh, the Iowa State game where Monty Potabom fumbles at the half-inch line, and if he doesn't, he, they probably win that game. So Iowa's lost these games that are close. Despite the offense, they've been, they're actually somewhat close to being 5-1. and one. But it's gotten to a point where the offense is so bad, it's almost impossible in some of these games to to win these games in spite of it. And that's the difference between last year and this year. I mean, look at the numbers. We, we talked about the 123rd in total offense last year. They're now 131st. They were, By the way, they were 130th heading into the Illinois game. But Colorado State actually performed Jay Norvell. Credit to Jay Norvell, who yeah. beat his former team on Friday night, which is kind of a, an exciting game. I fell asleep during it, but... Uh, because of that performance, they moved back ahead of Iowa. An exciting game that you fell asleep during. Well, it was a late game, and you stay up for those late games. You boy, you're you're uh, you're an Eastern. I time stay zone. up all the time, but um, I I did not see anything but the final kick. That's the only part of that game that I saw. Uh, I might have been on. I must have been on. Yeah, I was here. Was that Friday night? Yes, it was. Yeah, I must have been here. FS one, and then somebody alerted me to the game and. I got done and I, I flipped it on and they called a zillion timeout timeouts to ice the kicker and one of those deals. And then he made it. Yeah, that was the grudge match. <laughs> um, I kind of felt bad for Nevada because, you know, as much as you may like Jay Norvell for being a Hawkeye, he kind of did them dirty in the offseason. We talked about that with our mm-hmm. our Nevada guy, Duke Rittenhouse. And uh, I kind of felt bad for the Nevada program to have lost that game at home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another tremendous. Uh, Performance by the Iowa defense. Now, Illinois is no juggernaut on offense, but they will be scoring much more than nine points on other Big Ten opponents as they already have. So, you know, I, I um, sent you this text. It, it seems as though every game that goes by that there become different ways more unique ways to measure the ineptitude of the Iowa offense. And so it hit me at some point on Saturday or Sunday. I thought, how many touchdowns have they scored on offense this year? How many touchdowns has Ohio state scored on offense this year? Can can anybody in the chat, just take a guess on the disparity between how many touchdowns, the Ohio State offense has scored this year, and the Iowa offense. This just completely blew me away. And you even sent me the stat that, I don't remember the exact numbers, but you even sent me the stat of how many touchdowns Marvin Harrison Jr. has scored Yeah, in comparison to how many touchdowns Iowa's scored as a team, offensive touchdowns. Yeah, I I caught uh, Spencer Petras's... um, comments after the game you know i legitimately felt bad for him to a certain extent i I don't think there's a lack of preparation effort anything else involved and 
of course. And we, he, we've never accused him of such. Absolutely not. And he's so invested in it, of course, and sees every minute little detail at practice. I think he's truly being honest when he says we're progressing. But yeah, it, it doesn't. It's, it's not measurable in a significant way. It's not measurable. And then when he was pressed a little bit, then he had to admit, yeah, it's it's not happening fast enough. Yeah, and and he wasn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say he was the main problem. He wasn't good Saturday. It wasn't his worst game. He's played worse games than Saturday, Mark. But that doesn't that doesn't say much. I mean, quarterback play is still subpar. Offensive line play is still subpar. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I don't know where. I know Keegan Johnson. Somebody made a comment about Keegan Johnson. I don't yeah. know what his status is. Is he coming back? I have no idea. Um, but I will say this: it's baffling the fact that they can't get Arlen Bruce more involved. Um, that's disconcerting to me, um, especially now that he has help around him with Brody Brecht having progressed. And I think Bostic is back healthy. Uh, I don't even know if Bostic saw the field on offense, but that that is disappointing. Um, Nico Regani, I thought, played really well. I mean, I mentioned that in the postgame show. He's he's playing the best football of his career, and it's it's kind of being wasted because he's not a, he's not a number one guy, Mark. He can't be your number one receiver. It's very similar. You know what it's very similar to? It's very similar to 2016. Go back to 2016, and, and, and the difference in 2016 was Iowa actually had a, I hate to say this, but a really good quarterback. Now, he was hurt much of 2016, and it hindered his play, but C.J. Beathard was still above average. And the problem was they had no wide receiver play. Riley McCarron, you know, Matt Vandenberg broke his foot that year, um, and Riley McCarron comes in, and he's basically your number one guy throughout the year and no offense to Riley McCarron, who I believe had a brief stint, at least in unpracticed in a practice squad with uh, the Patriots. He's not a number one receiver uh, on a big 10 football team. And I'd say the same thing about Nico Regani. He's not a number one receiver. So the very, as far as receiver and tight end is concerned, they're very similar to what they were in 2016 because uh, George Kittle was there in 2016. So they had, you know, they've got a really good tight end in Sam Laporta. I think Laporta had, like did he have like 16 targets on Saturday? Something ridiculous, like 16 targets. Um, and I believe it was uh, is it Regani that had? I'd have to go back. Let me pull up. I'm curious. I, I shared some of this on the post game show, but um, somebody had, I think, 10 targets. Was it? Uh, it wasn't Regani? Uh, let me see if I can find this. Um, on Saturday, offensive stats. Okay, so for the game, yeah, Regani had 10 targets, uh, seven catches, 46 yards, which in this Iowa offense is quite a bit. <laughs> so I, I applaud him, but it's it's just we saw him operate as, you know, third or fourth fiddle uh, in 20, what was that, 2018? And he was really good. But, uh, the, you know, he's kind of playing, I don't want to say out of position, but, uh, you know, you, you feel, and I feel bad for Jack Campbell. I feel bad for Sam Laporta. Uh, I feel bad for Kayvon Merriweather, who I think is playing the best football of his career. And I, I'm, you know, you feel bad for everybody on on defense, but you particularly feel bad for guys who won't be there next year, like like Campbell and like Merriweather, because those guys deserve better. And I know I give them credit; they're great teammates. They've come to the defense of the offense time and time and time again. But I mean, if we're just being objective and facing reality, we understand that it's got to be hard for them to, to be limiting a team like Illinois to nine points to be limiting Iowa state to 10 and yet still losing football games. And by the way, I thought they played pretty well defensively against Michigan. I know they struggled to stop the run, but Blake Corum and, and um, what's his face for, for Illinois are really good backs and to hold Michigan to 20 through basically the whole game until the late garbage touchdown. That's that should be enough to at least be, have a chance at home to win that football game. But the offense just uh, isn't giving enough. So I feel bad for those guys on defense. Let's uh, get to some super chats and also let you know about our Hawkeye football ticket giveaway uh, here at the Voice of College Football. So we've got Cole chiming in here, Nebraska fan Cole. Thank you so much for the contribution. What do you guys think of Brian laughing? Well, I had I posted some content on that Sunday, uh, but – 
you know, when I initially reacted to that, it was during the post game show and I hadn't really seen it during live action. Um, but it was brought to my attention by coach Patterson and by a couple other people. And I went back and looked at it again. And I understand that people, there have been people who have come to Brian's defense on that. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, I doubt Brian, it's almost guaranteed. Brian was not laughing about the interception. Um, but, but they, he was shown on camera on the Fox broadcast or on the BTN broadcast laughing as he was talking to Spencer Petrus and Petrus wasn't laughing, but didn't seem overly distraught about throwing the interception that possibly would seal the game for Illinois. Um, but it was just, uh, it's bad optics. And Don Patterson brought up Hayden Fry and how he would treat a player who was laughing after something like that. And he, he actually asked the player, uh, you know, what's so funny, you know, uh, you, I better not see you laugh and that kind of thing. So I do think that, that it's something it's fair to be critical of Brian for that. And I hope Kirk addresses it because, and again, you can say it wasn't about the game. It doesn't matter. You, you know, you can't appear a certain way on camera, uh, especially when you're on the, on the TV broadcast, you never know. It's a coach on the sideline. You never know when the camera's looking at you. Um, it just didn't look good. Um, it doesn't mean Brian doesn't care. I know some people said that uh, it, it, this is a guy who doesn't fear for his job. I understand people who say that as well. Um, so it, it was worth the discussion because I don't think it was appropriate whether he was joking about that or, or you know, somebody, other people who even said, well, it was an uncomfortable smile. Sometimes people, I, I have people in my family who at times will laugh or smile when they're uncomfortable. Like that's kind mm -hmm. of just uh, some people cope that way, right? It's yeah. kind of a coping mechanism. Exactly. So I understand that that's possible. Just doesn't look good. So I see it from both sides. I see it from what you just stated, that if you're an organization, knowing the scrutiny that is going to be thrown at the individual and the program because of uh, a, uh, you know, uh, a situation or a look, an optic that, that doesn't look appropriate, that doesn't look like, you know, the, the, the care is being invested and that, that uh, like, I understand that. I understand that from that standpoint, I, I would coach my coaches and I would coach my players in the same way. There, there can always be a camera on you during a game. We need to show that we are focused, dedicated. We care. We're serious about this. We want this because there, but on the flip side, I am the last person to be judgmental about that sort of thing because of what you just stated that number one, there are people out there that smirk or laugh or something. And it's not in its truest sense of why you typically laugh or chuckle about something or smile about something. It's because they're uncomfortable or that's just, it's just their emotional response to that. There are also, so if, if a camera was brought into all of our workplaces and there was a poor job done on something on a project or there was a mistake made. Um, I would think that there are many times in which there are jokes or laughter in response, even if it's taken seriously just to lighten the mood or whatever. I understand this isn't the case because we've got cameras on the players, but I, yeah, I don't read into that. I don't think it's a good look. It's not a good look, but I don't read into it personally. But that's that's part of the deal when you're in the public spotlight. And Mark, just so you're aware, uh, it's the bye week, so no Kirk. I, I don't I don't know if they have if Gary Dalton does his weekly show with Kirk tomorrow night, but I do know that all three coordinators meet with the media, and I wish it was on Zoom because I'd love to be a part of it. Um, again, I'm not going to drive two hours to ask a couple questions, although I was tempted to. I thought about it. Because uh, I, I have a couple questions I'd like to ask. Uh, I, I hope that somebody in the media does ask Brian, "What can I, can I ask you what you were laughing about because you were caught on camera? I think that's a fair question. And he may explain it. He may say uh, that's personal between me and Spencer. But don't you think that's a fair question to ask when, when he's available tomorrow? I think it's a fair question. I also it, think he has the right to abstain sure. from an answer. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think, think it should be, it should, it should be asked. And then, um, uh, the other question is, and I saw Spaceboy74 in the chat brought up the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that was called on an Iowa staff member, uh, assistant coach. And I was disappointed in Kirk how he handled that after the game. 
they asked him, uh, you know, who was the penalty on? And he, he said, well, it's an assistant, assistant coach. And somebody else, I think, said, can you tell us who the assistant coach was? And he just said, no, it was an assistant coach. And then I think it was Mike Colossus of the Gazette chimed in and said, why is that? Why, why do we get to know the, the player that, you know, the, the number of the player that the penalty was on versus the coach? And Kirk's basically said, well, was the player announced? And he said, well, yeah, they, they, it always is. <laughs> it's always announced. You hear the number. Why can't we know? And he said, it's on the game film. It's on, it's on the tape. No, it's not. It, it, it's on, I'm sure it's on the, the actual coaching game film, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But it's not on the TV film. So it, it appears like Kirk was once again protecting Brian. That's what it appears because if it was somebody asked if it was Brian and he didn't he didn't answer. So if it wasn't Brian, this, the logical thing would would be no, it wasn't Brian. But I'm not getting into it. You know, and that'd be the logical thing if it wasn't Brian. So that tells you that it probably was Brian. So that would be another question to ask Brian. Was the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called on you? Yes or no? <laughs> I just, I hope those questions are asked tomorrow. I just, I really do. And I don't often get on the media for asking questions, but those are two things I think should be asked. Brian, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. We had addressed the Cade McNamara situation in which it is rumored and has been reported, actually, that he will transfer. Thank you for that. Uh, we want to remind everyone that uh, our Hawkeyes live show here on Tuesday is brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates. You can grab the link in the description section of all the videos here at the Voice of College Football Iowa. And uh, that leads you right there to their website where you can get an instant quote. Now, completely unrelated to that, although this is brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates and us here at the Voice of College Football, we've got an Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway. No purchase required. You don't have to get uh, any type of insurance quote or anything. No purchase required. Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway. Two tickets we're giving away to the Hawkeyes and the Huskers, of course, on that final uh, weekend of the season. So you go to Gene Arthur Associates uh, on Facebook and Instagram. I'm going to leave the link in the chat. Follow it there. And uh, just follow them on Facebook and Instagram, like and tag a friend, and you will be automatically entered into the giveaway for Iowa-Nebraska tickets. How about that? Awesome giveaway. Anybody doesn't do that, I don't know what you're thinking. Um, maybe you're a Nebraska fan. I know we got Cole in the chat. Maybe you're a Nebraska fan. You can. It's, it's open to both Iowa and Nebraska fans, right, Mark? Absolutely. So appreciate Gene Arthur Associates for making that possible. Um, Mark, I just want to ask you, how did you feel when, when Kirk, I know you listened to, uh, to Kirk. How did you feel when Kirk made the comment that, uh, um, about a potential coaching change during the bye week uh, he, he responded to David Eichold, the two, four, seven sports and said, I, I don't know if you're aware, but we won 10 games last year. How do well, you feel I about that not, response? I did not hear that directly, but it's easy for me to respond <laughs> again this is just the default go-to answer that covers all ills is that the team won 10 games last year. And it's completely ridiculous to not address obvious issues with certain parts of the team and how those could be dealt with by just saying, because we won 10 games last year, then that, that covers all wrongs. Uh, now next year, let's, let's say they go five and seven this year. Um, and then they get off to a good start and they're having a good season midway through next season. Can a reporter bring up issues from this season next year and say, this happened, this happened, and this happened last year. Um, (laughs) you know, continually going back to the 10 win season. And Mark, let's let's that wasn't even what bothered me. It wasn't even the fact that he brought up a different season. It was the fact that the season he brought up, that should not be reason not to fire an offensive coach. They were 123rd in total offense in 2021. Why are we, again, that shows an inability on Kirk's uh, part or a refusal to evaluate each unit of football exclusively, individually. To say, well, we won 10 games last year. Why would we consider firing our offensive coordinator? That doesn't make any sense, right, Mark? You were putrid in offense last year, just like you're putrid this year. Well, now you're actually 
you're actually more putrid, right? You're, you're extra putrid. I just, that bothered me. And it was a bit, I, I love Kirk. I've said that a million times. I thought it was condescending to say to an Iowa reporter, I'm not sure you're aware. That's, that's condescending to say to a guy who covers the sport, regardless of how you feel about David Eichold of 247 Sports. That's condescending. Sure <laughs> so is. I was everyone disappointed. Everyone in the room knows that they were 10 and 4 last year. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm sure everyone in the room knows what the record was last year. And, and again, just to extend on your point, anyone who uh, owns a business or runs an operation or is responsible for a particular unit, group, uh, division within an organization, you evaluate each segment of that group or that organization separately. You don't just say, oh, we're making money. We're okay. You know, our business made some money last year, so everything's fine. Everyone's okay. Even when you genuinely know, and it's obvious to everyone, this person's a standout. They're amazing. This unit's killing it. This is horrible. And this is dragging down what we could be. And you just ignore it and say, well, everybody's getting a paycheck and everybody's making money. So we're good. And we've been, we've been on that for a long time, but just the fact that he said that he verbalized it Saturday. And I understand, look, there have been times with Fran McCaffrey that I have been, I think fairly critical of Fran McCaffrey and other people have criticized him because Fran will sometimes get a little bit, uh, I don't want to say insulting, but uh, condescending to reporters. It's I think you have to at least understand that in the heat of the moment, you're you're fresh off a loss. Kirk was probably, obviously, he was not happy. He did seem dejected, and rightfully so after the game. So you, it's not like you just hold a grudge against him forever, but I think it's fair to say, just like I would say with Fran McCaffrey had smarted off to a reporter in, in the past, I'd say I thought that was an inappropriate thing to say on Kirk's part. Just like we said that last year with Kirk and the comment about Deuce Hogan. You know, when he said, well, if we had to go with our third string quarterback, I think I would have stayed home, <laughs> which was. That, that's amazing that he made that statement. I know, but that's why Deuce Hogan's at, that's part of the reason, part of the reason that Deuce Hogan's at Kentucky right now. But th- think about that, Mark, that, that, that quote, little did we know that quote sort of uh, is being reflected in decision-making this year, his lack of trust in his backup quarterbacks his lack of faith in anybody besides not named Spencer Petras. Because as bad as quarterback play has been, he's refused to give Padilla, Labus, May, Deuce Hogan last year even a shot at proving themselves in a game. Who knows if any of these guys are gamers because we never see them in a game. <laughs> I mean, Well, I listen- would have to say, to a certain extent, this is the only place where I can defend his decision. That based on their evaluation, and we both agree that their evaluation of quarterback play <laughs> is questionable compared to the competition. But if if he judges that Spencer Petrus is their best option, regardless of how poorly he plays, if he still is the best option, then he's the best option. But Mark, we don't know if he's the best option. How do we know that? Based on practice? Yeah, I- that's what what he's basing it on. That's okay. the only thing he can base it on. Well, no, well, if he was willing to actually see what Joey Labus or Padilla were able to do, and I know Padilla got time last year, but sure. we have not seen either one of those guys in a game in 2022. And I'll remind you of the great Chuck Hartlieb, who was not a good practice player. And Iowa, Hayden Fry and that offensive staff inserted him into the actual an actual game and Chuck Hartley proved that he was what you'd consider to be a gamer. Some guys, right, they don't necessarily prove themselves in practice. Sure. But in a situation like this, we're not getting good production at quarterback. Why would you not at least um, see if if you've got a gamer on the roster? Iowa's proven they don't care. They don't, they're not interested in seeing if there's a gamer on the roster. Well, I will somewhat agree with you, but I'll also condition it this way. Again, to, to underline my previous point, let's say – you were the talent evaluator of your football team, and you clearly thought practice after practice after practice after practice, and now two and a half years of starting, that Spencer Petrus was your best quarterback, and you really had no other alternative on the roster, which is a pretty sad thing to say. So that that falls back on Kirk Ferentz as well, that there's no viable option if there's not, uh, because you can go to any good program in the country and their backup quarterback can step in and win games. 
So that aside, he's done a poor job seemingly of building that quarterback room. Number one, number two, let's say Petrus is better in his evaluation, far better. It's not even close. Then he's continuing to make the decision that he believes is the best decision for the team to win games. However, if you look at even if even if Padilla is reasonably close, which he showed us in a small sample size that he's reasonably close to Spencer Petrus's level of play, then if you have the worst offense in the country, why would you not? Right, right. What, what do we have to lose on? That's my point. What do we have to lose on offense right now? Well, nothing on offense. You have you have games to lose, and they're losing and, them, and they are losing them. But they have they have been this close to winning. And they'll be that close with Alex Padilla uh, at quarterback. Probably. I, I listen, and t- until I see it, until I see it otherwise, and who knows? I mean, you know, if Joey Labus is. What is that telling you about? You just implied that too. What is that telling you about Iowa's ability to? If, if Petrus is the best guy, then man, wow, <laughs> the lack of development and the lack of recruiting. Probably more development than recruiting, right? Because, you know, Petrus was at one time a four-star recruit. I mean, it's not like these guys were zero-star recruits. There is such a thing as developing quarterbacks, and it does not occur at Iowa. But, I mean, that tell. And the other thing is, too, what is that – how do you think Joey Labus and – and I'm not trying to transition to a rip session of Spencer because, like I say, I thought Spencer – played one of his better games Saturday. It still wasn't good, but it was one of his better games. <laughs> Mark? So you watch every play of every I, game. See, yes. I don't, and I watched probably three quarters of that game, and I was like, wow, he's missing some throws, man. I know. I'm aware, but my point, <laughs> did you watch this out to go to state game? Uh, my point is, um, l- let's just acknowledge the fact that with Kirk's refusal to at least insert Labus or Padilla into a series, like even just a series doesn't have to be a, a game, a half, a quarter, a drive, no, a series. He hasn't even been willing to do that. What does that, what does that do for the psyches of your other two quarterbacks? Not counting May because he's a, a, a true freshman. What does that do to the psyches of Labus and Padilla? I mean, no, similar, to, it probably makes point. him feel very similar yeah. to how Deuce Hogan felt when he went the entire year last year and the year prior working his tail off in practice. And then in the last game of the regular season, his coach rips him. All right, whether you want to say it was inadvertent and he didn't mean what he said or it was it came out wrong. How do you think Deuce Hogan felt in that moment? Well, we know how he felt because he he got up and left. Assuming that Alex Padilla and Joey Labus are are people with feelings like all of us, I would think that that would the situation right now has got to be very discouraging to those guys to have not even given them the time of day. And we talked about it last year, Mark. Remember when, when Alex Padilla came in against Northwestern and Illinois and uh, Minnesota and Nebraska and Kirk repeatedly made it clear that this is because Spencer Petrus is hurt. He wanted to make that clear. We're not making a quarterback change. Spencer's still banged up. He always brought up Spencer's injuries throughout that time when Padilla was in the game. So no vote of confidence for the backup. I, I just, it, it's it, that's another disappointing part of how this offense and this coaching staff manages its quarterback room because you're not inspiring confidence in those guys at all. And frankly, you're not inspiring. You're not even pushing Spencer and you can say, well, you don't want a quarterback looking over his shoulder. He's been the starter for two and a half years. He's not looking over his shoulder. If he's not playing well, then you say, Spencer, we're going to go with Alex or we're going to go with Joey for this series. And we'll see if he, if they can give us some, you know, electricity, give us a jolt. And if not, you better be ready. Cause we're going to, you know, you've been our starter and we're going to call on you. I mean, heck, there's some programs we saw Purdue do it against Iowa last year that actually deploys three quarterback, two or three quarterbacks in a game. I mean, Michigan's done it, right? They did it last year with Caden JJ, and so that doesn't necessarily destroy the confidence of the other player if you're using both guys. And again, how do we know if one of these guys could potentially be a gamer and someone who can step up when the the lights are on? Because it appears to me, and I've said this many times, that Spencer has this problem with performing well in practice, but kind of shrinking when the lights come on. And I hate to say, see that. And I, and I felt like you, Mark, when you, when he's talking post game after the Illinois game, um, you feel like, well, I, you know, I, I wish this kid could succeed. You do wish that, but how long are we going to wait? How, how long are you going to wait? I mean, at some point 
you, you say Spencer Peters is a great person. He's a great human being. I want him to succeed at life. Um, he will succeed at life because I think he's a good person because I think he's a smart person. But he may not be the guy, the, the leader of this football game or football team. And if he is the best guy, then that's an indictment on the coaching staff. But we'll never really know. And the coaches will never really know, regardless of their evaluation and practice, unless we get a look at these guys in a game. It's ironic that the rest of college football is going to the nth degree on the other end of the spectrum in terms of being knee-jerk, reactionary when it comes to quarterback and coaches' decisions and maybe pulling the plug a little bit soon on in some instances. In Iowa, when a quarterback has been the guy for two and a half seasons and has that many starts under his belt, and um, in the backup, Padilla, you know, I know he didn't play well when he got in there, but but the the level of play wasn't that markedly worse than Spencer Petras. I, I think it was in in the same ballpark. It was in the same range, and he and he gives the offense that that element of being able to take off and run when when it's there. And for an offense that's struggling, to have a quarterback that can three or four times a game at least see an opening in the pass rush in the lane and be able to take off and get eight yards or 12 yards or 14 yards to continue a drive. That's huge. Let me give you Iowa's uh, offense. Iowa's scoring. All right. And this includes defensive scores. I'm not going to, I don't have time to go back and, and figure that out, but let me give you their scores in 2021 ever since the Penn state game. All right. So ever since they beat Penn state and this slide has begun, because it really does go back to that game. Let me give you their, their scoring outputs with Spencer Petrus at the helm. Seven, seven, uh, three, 17, seven, seven, 27, 27, 14, six. Now let me give you, and this, I mean, th- this is just the facts. Uh, let me give you the, the numbers when Alex Padilla was, was uh, starting. He basically started, I know Petrus started, uh, the Northwestern game, but I think Padilla came in in the first quarter. 17 against Northwestern, 27 against Minnesota, 33 against Illinois. And I, you know, the Nebraska, Nebraska game is hard. They scored 28. They hit half the game with Padilla, half the game with Petrus. Neither guy was very good. So I guess, you know, we won't give that to, credit to that, you know, either guy w- for that game. But I'm just saying, Mark, you say, well, he he, he maybe wasn't as good as Spencer, or, you know, it was close. The num- those numbers actually would suggest that maybe he was better. And I don't care, you know, you can look at his completion percentage. It's lower. Um, he had a lot of drops during that time period. You'll recall there were a lot of drops on very catchable balls from guys like Nico Regani, guys like Tyrone Tracy, Keegan Johnson. I mean, I, I don't know how you uh, deny the fact. And, and remember, this is, a, I know the Illinois defense was not nearly as good last year, but 33 points against the Illini last year. They scored six <laughs> against this uh, Illini team three days ago. So, I'll never understand that. I'm not saying that quarterback is the only problem. It's not. And I saw a comment in the chat. You'll get to the super chat here in a few minutes, but somebody asked the question, uh, why, why does it matter if the coaching is bad? Well, this is the same uh, for the most, for the most part. I know the quarterback coach is different. There's a different tight ends coach. You got a different line coach, but Brian Ferentz was the OC and Kirk Ferentz was the head coach when Nate Stanley was here, Mark. And the offense was better. I'm not saying it was good, but it was better because they had good quarterback play. So it is possible that an individual, despite maybe shortcomings in coaching, that a guy like Nate Stanley or maybe it's a guy like Joey Labus or a guy like Alex Padilla can help. Doesn't mean you're going to completely overcome and become elite, but help a sputtering offense and a quarterback room that's underperforming. I made a comment to you, I believe it was when you called one of my call-in shows about a week ago that it was astounding to me what quarterbacks were rated below Spencer Petrus in his recruiting class. So this in and of itself, I don't think means anything, but if this could be, if we could go through all the Iowa quarterbacks that we would consider to be underachievers, and we would see this as a trend where there were better quarterbacks that were rated coming out of high school to be, down the list or not as good as the Iowa quarterback, meaning that they were more consistently developed into better players than the quarterback that Iowa signed. Then, then I think we've got a trend, but this is just, this is astounding to me. And again, I don't think this means anything because it's just one example, but Michael Penix, Jack Plummer, 
Brennan Armstrong, Will Levis, Where are we? Sam Hartman, Brock Purdy, Jordan Travis, Zach Wilson. All rated lower than Spencer Petrus coming out of high school. You know, you're talking about seven or eight, ten quarterbacks. I didn't even get to all of them that are much better college quarterbacks, much better college quarterbacks. And were rated lower than Spencer Petrus coming out of high school. All right, we'll catch up with the Super Chats because we don't have too much time left. And Erica, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for the contribution. You know that. But um, it's just the format of the show that we have here on Tuesdays with Corey that we do not open up the phone lines. But Corey takes calls all week. I take calls all week. So, Erica, thank you so much for that. Asking to open up the phone line so she can make a point about the uh, the 10-win season last year. But, Erica, we would love to hear from you. So please call one of the call-in shows. Uh, murder blaze is it petrus who's bad or is it the coaching murder blaze hang in there we have certainly talked about it uh show after show after show after show throughout the entire off season i think there's a combination there for sure and uh cory uh, addressed to that comment but murder blaze thank you so much for the comment we want to remind everyone that we've got a ticket giveaway to the Regular season finale. Will it be Iowa's final game of the season? Hmm. Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway in Iowa City brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates and the Voice of College Football. Follow Gene Arthur Associates at Facebook and Instagram. Follow, like, share uh, as well, and you are automatically um, entered into the contest for two tickets to the Iowa-Nebraska game. No purchase required. All right, Corey, what's uh, what's next for you on uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm? Great stuff, Mark. Um, we've got Hawkeye Hangout as we do each and every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central Time. So we'll be a live call-in show, um, and we'll take chats as we always do, as you do here. Um, but we've also got uh, coming up plenty of men's basketball content. If you uh, caught that, that today up in Minneapolis was uh, part one of Big Ten Media Days for um, – men's and women's hoops so it will be good to uh to dive back into basketball i've got a, an exciting announcement to make here in the coming days it'll be dropping this week and um yeah just just great stuff i mean we're gonna have some some good interviews some good conversations and um got a podcast here dropping soon so um and, and of course the post game show each and every saturday right here and over at my channel uh, simulcast on both both channels and uh we're, you know, I saw somebody ask if I was or make a comment that I'm, I've given up on the season. I haven't given up on the season, Mark. I mean, I think I, like a lot of people, they're kind of disconcerted and discouraged, but uh, we're going to be here. I mean, Mark, we took three out over three hours during our show again on Saturday. And Don was with us like the whole time. What is that? Yeah. What, how does that make you feel, Mark, to know that we were on there for over three hours recapping a six to nine loss? Well, <laughs> I, I know that you get a tremendous uh, response and uh, Iowa fans have certainly responded to your content. And uh, so that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. I'm fortunate to where I can pick and choose who I'm going to talk about and what games I'm going to watch and focus on. So. <laughs> Like Lamansky, appreciate you being here as always. Check out Alex Kirshner's article on offense. Sad to see us ridiculed. Who's Alex Kirshner? I have no idea. I'll look it up, Lamansky. Appreciate that. And for us, we will be talking Nebraska football on our Huskers live show here in just about 25 to 30 minutes, 7 p.m. Eastern time over on the Nebraska channel with the Huskers now two and one, two and one. In the Big Ten, of course, they've played pretty much the three worst teams in the conference, but still two and one for the Huskers with a lot of tough games to play, starting with Purdue coming up. And then I will have a call in show coming up tonight at 830 Eastern, defending my top 25. That actually makes sense. And also we're going to be handing out midseason report card grades. So join the call in show and and give us your report card on whatever aspect of your team or college football you would like to target and uh, join us there. I've also released uh, big 10 power rankings. Check those out. Where do you think Iowa stands? 
one through 14. So big 10 power rankings. <laughs> I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't watched that yet, Mark, but uh, you piqued my interest. So I will be uh, perusing that later on. Appreciate everybody being here at the Voice of College Football. Once again, Corey and Coach Don Patterson after the Hawkeyes game each and every week. Of course, this is a bye week, so you can catch Corey tomorrow night on his channel. And uh, we'll be back here next Tuesday, 4.30 Central. Bring a friend. We'll see you then. In the meantime, Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook and Instagram. You can win Iowa-Nebraska tickets, two of them, no purchase required. We'll see you next Tuesday.